Y'all, please, raise your hand if this has ever happened to you. You're like sitting in a quiet room, maybe taking a test, when all of a sudden, (laughs) and your stomach starts... (laughs) Your stomach starts acting up. Has it ever happened to you? Y'all, the Greeks had a word for this. Most of you, all right? I'm not alone. The Greeks had a word for this. Borborygmus. Borborygmus. It's actually onomatopoeia. But it is, um, borborygmus is the rumbling or gurgling noise that your body makes when it's hungry. Though stomach growling is commonly heard or associated with hunger or the absence of food, Uh, It can occur at any time, whether on an empty stomach or a full stomach. It doesn't matter. Hungry or full, your body sounds hangry, (laughs) upset, dissatisfied, borborygmous. Spiritually speaking, this rings true for us all. Bruce Springsteen, the boss, he's absolutely right. Everybody's got a hungry heart. Each of us, in our own way, is trying to satisfy our hungry heart, right? To feed it full. But no matter how much we stuff it with stuff, (laughs) Grace, you know. (laughs) Borborygmus, right? Your heart is hangry. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was hanging out um, with a friend of mine named Beck. Uh, Beck has got a six-year-old, I think he's six, six-year-old son named Jack. And uh, Beck was telling me, I'm never buying Jack another set of Legos. I said, Beck, why? Beck answered, my six-year-old wants this new Lego toy called the Ninjago Lightning Jet. So we go out to Toys R Us and we get him, right, the Lightning Jet. And Jack opens the box and we start putting it together But in the back, right, of the directions that we were using to put this thing together, there's all of these advertisements and QR codes and kids playing with other Lego sets. Kids uh, uh, playing with the Ninjago Flying Jelly Sub. And kids playing with the Ninjago Green Ninja Mech Dragon. And kids playing with the Ninjago Temple of the Ultimate Ultimate Weapon. (laughs) Sounds pretty cool. Right? Well, Jack swore, right? He's like, I I swear, I need this thing to be happy, right? This Ninjago lightning jet. And as soon as it's in his hands, right, he's completely dissatisfied with it. As soon as the thing is built, right, he's dying for something else. Well, this isn't just Jack's problem. This is our problem. We are all like Jack, and Jack is like all of us. We all believe, just like Jack does, that what we need to be happy is just outside of our grasp, but once we get it, then everything will change. Then we will be happy. Lo and behold, you get your proverbial lightning jet, your proverbial flying jelly sub, your proverbial temple of the ultimate, ultimate weapon. And it fails to deliver. You get it, and you're dissatisfied. You're still not happy. Research has shown that America's most at-risk youth are not kids in the inner city, but preteens and teens from affluent, well-educated families. 
In her book, The Price of Privilege, Madeline Levine, who's a child psychiatrist, reports that in spite, and I quote, in spite of their economic and social advantages, children of affluence experience among the highest rates of depression, substance abuse, anxiety disorder, somatic complaints, and unhappiness of any group of children in this country. These are kids who, on the surface, have it all, and yet, right, and yet, are hangry, discontent, and dissatisfied. In 2005, Tom Brady did a pretty famous interview with 60 Minutes. After winning three Super Bowls, marrying the world's top supermodel, and achieving an annual household income of $76 million per year, here's what he had to say. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it's all about. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. But me, I think it's got to be more than this. I mean, this, this can't be all it's cracked up to be. This is Tom Brady, right, in 2005, after three Super Bowl rings, marrying the world's top supermodel and getting an annual income of $76 million per year. This can't be all that it's cracked up to be. Jim Carrey said something very much the same. He said, I hope everybody could get rich and famous and do everything that they dreamed of so they will know it's not the answer. But we're not just talking about fame. We are not just talking about fortune. Right? We do this with relationships too. We think, oh, if only I could go out on that date with this person. Oh, if I could only have sex with this person. Oh, if I could just marry this person then all of my problems would be fixed. Right? That hunger that, uh, in my heart would be satisfied. But you get on that date. You have sex with that person. You marry that woman or that man. And you can find yourself like Tom Brady. There's got to be more than this. I'm not really satisfied. Look, I know there's a lot of things um, that are enticing, that promise fulfillment, promise soul satisfaction. I know the promise of pornography. Do look at this. Uh, pleasure yourself in front of this and you will feel good. Nobody is getting hurt. Everything is okay and it is not. You finish looking at it and you're full of shame and you're still alone. And the promises of hookup culture. Again, nobody's getting hurt. This is fun. And you wake up the next day lonely and wanting more. Each of us in this room right now is pursuing things that when you get them will never satisfy you. You think they will, and you get it, and you realize it won't and doesn't. You have a longing. You have an ache. You have a cavernous hole in your heart. And no amount of Legos, money, fame, sex, or likes on Facebook will ever fill it. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Why do you spend your labor for that which does not satisfy? The added poignancy to this question is that it doesn't have to be this way. 
Why are you doing this? Why are you chasing after wind? It doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way because what we really need and what we are really longing after is actually available to us. And shockingly and amazingly, it's free. It's free. This brings me to sort of the second point of this sermon. The first point is that, look, we're all hungry for, for things. The second point is that God has what we need, and it's freely on offer. Okay, look at verse number one. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And God is saying, come to, to thirsty people. God is saying, come, right, to those who have no money, who are poor, who lack, who feel like there is this hole in their heart that they're trying to fill. Come, he says, come and eat. What you are looking for, what you are longing for, I have for you, and it's free. Wine and milk, without money, right, without price. Well, if it's true that God has what we need and it's free, how do we get it? You know, what's step number one to getting what God is offering? It starts with this. We need to listen, right? Getting what you really want begins with listening. Specifically, listening to God. See, God has something to say and we need to hear what he has to say. Listen, Right, he says, listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. There's a lot of repetition here. Maybe you missed it the first time or the second time. Hopefully you caught it by the third, right? God wants me to listen to him, right? In order to receive what God is freely offering, we must first of all listen. You know, I've walked into Ben and Jerry's uh, downtown uh, on Church Street. And uh, as soon as I stepped inside, I, I, I've discovered, this has not happened all the time, but it's happened sometimes, oh, they've got a new flavor out, and you can get a free sample. And you're like, wow, I had no idea, free, a new flavor, right, for free. That's not what is being described here, right? It's not like, oh, there's this secret free thing that's really good, but, you know, we're not really advertising it, right? You've got to kind of step inside to, to, to enjoy. The picture here of Isaiah 55 is like the, the man or the lady with the, the tray of free sesame chicken out at Faneuil Hall in Boston or, you know, the food court in Union Station in Washington, D.C., crying out, yummy, yummy, yummy free samples, right? Come and get some. That's the picture here. Okay, God is not waiting for you to come to him first. He's not waiting for you to walk in from the street God is leaving the storefront and he's stepping onto the sidewalk and he is coming towards you and he is coming to you with an announcement of good news. I've got something really good for you and it's free. It is a yummy, yummy, yummy free sample. Right? Now receiving what God is offering, it begins with this announcement. And we need to listen to it. But it's not enough for us just to hear it. It's not just enough for us to hear, oh, free sesame chicken. Right? In order to enjoy it, we've actually got to do something else beyond listening. And God tells us what that is. We need to come 
and we need to eat. We need to come and eat. You might hear that there is some free samples of sesame chicken over here, but in order for you to delight in it, you need to step forward, you need to grab some off of the plate, and you need to put it in your mouth. Hearing about the yummy, yummy sesame chicken isn't good enough. Knowing that this sesame chicken is free isn't good enough. In order for you to be satisfied by it, you need to come over, you need to receive what is freely being offered, and you need to ingest it. You need to get it inside of you. You need to take this thing that is out there, and you need to bring it in here. Simply put, you need to come, and you need to eat. Look, what is true of sesame chicken is also true of our soul and its satisfaction. It's not enough, friends, to know, that, or it's not enough to know that there is a God and that He is good. That's not enough for you to know that, the, that there is a God and He's good. I mean, you need to hear that, but you need to do more than just hear that. You need to come and eat. There is a huge difference between knowing honey is sweet because you read about it in a book. Or somebody told you, hey, honey is good. There's a huge difference between that kind of knowledge and the kind of knowledge you get by taking a spoonful of it and putting it in your mouth. Do you understand what I'm saying? In the same way, your knowledge of God has got to go beyond hearing God is good, God is gracious, and actually tasting it. Tasting His goodness tasting His grace. There's a big difference of knowing that God forgives sinners and God forgives me. Right? Those are very different. You have got to take this message and you've got to personally appropriate it. You've got to get it inside of you. Okay? Not just out there, but in here. What is this free soul-satisfying gift that God is offering to you. It's upon a tray and saying, this is for you. What is it? Well, what He's offering you is nothing less than Himself. What He is offering you is an eternal marriage-like relationship with Him. Right? The Maker of the universe. Look at verse 3 with me. In order, right? Incline your ear, come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Okay, this is what we get when we come to God, when we come to receive what he has to offer. It is an everlasting covenant. It is his steadfast, sure love. You know, the one thing that your heart really needs, the one thing that your heart really is after, the one thing that's truly going to satisfy it is this. It is a marriage-like relationship with God. A relationship that he calls a covenant. You know, maybe you ask me, what is a covenant? Well, a covenant is not a contract. And a covenant's not a contract. A lot of our relationships are contractual. 
when you buy a cell phone or you sign a lease, um, what you are doing and saying is, I will give you this in exchange for that. I will give you my money in exchange for good cell service. Or I will give you money in exchange for a roof over my head and water in the pipes. Right? We even do this with our friends, whether we intend to or not. Some of our friendships are contractual. I will give you my time and my energy so long as you do the same for me. You give me your time, your energy. But covenants are different. Okay, covenants are not based on exchange. They are based on promises. Okay, marriages are covenantal relationships. The language of covenant is, I will do this for you no matter what. I promise to be there for you at all times. For richer and for poorer, in sickness and in health. No matter what happens, I'm there for you. Right till death do his part. That is the language of covenant. And as one pastor has pointed out, contractual love is I'm going to love you as long as this is fun. I'm going to love you as long as this is mostly about me. But covenantal love is different. Covenantal love is I'm going to love you no matter what the cost. I'm not going anywhere. It is an oath or a promise-based relationship like marriage. And this is the way that God wants to relate to you. God wants to enter into this kind of relationship with you. I love you, and I'm not going anywhere. Richer, poor, sickness and health, right? I'm there for you. God, your husband, right? You, his bride. In Isaiah 54, one chapter before this one, God says, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. Seven chapters later in Isaiah 62, God says, as a young man marries a maiden, so will your sons marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Like a bride over, or like a groom over his bride on the wedding day. That's, that's the way I celebrate you. It's not just in Isaiah that God speaks of himself in this way. In Hosea too, another prophet, God says, In that day you will call me my husband and no longer my master. I don't want to relate to you as your boss. I want to relate to you as your husband. In verses 19 and 20 of that same chapter, God says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge me. God uses this kind of language all throughout the Bible. He wants to relate to us in this intimate, covenantal way. And in fact, the Bible ends with this imagery. Then I saw the new heavens and the new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. This is the last picture we have in the Bible. God coming to his bride. 
God says he wants to interact with us in this covenantal and not contractual way. But there's something very special about this covenant. Okay, it says here in verse 3 that the covenant is an everlasting one. Okay, it is an eternal, loving, promise-based relationship. Here on earth, couples make promises. But you all know, maybe um, directly, that though parents make promises, they sometimes break them. Our marriage covenants here on earth can end in divorce. But not so with God. Okay, this covenant uh, is an everlasting one. It's an everlasting one. His love is steadfast and it's sure. God's saying, you may leave me and you may forsake me, but I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's my promise. Even if on earth our marriages don't end in divorce, they do end with our death. You go to a wedding, you'll hear the bride and the groom promise something like, till death do us part. Right? The covenant ends when we die. That is to say that even the best covenants here on earth are temporary. But not so with this marriage. This marriage is an everlasting one. It's eternal. God is saying death cannot even break us apart. This is not till death do us part. Death cannot break us apart. This is an everlasting covenant. I will hold your hand through this life. I will hold your hand through your death. And I will be there greeting you on the other side. My face will be the face that you see at each and every moment. It's an everlasting covenant. To be married to God, to be known by Him and to know Him, to love and to be loved by Him, to be united with Him forever, held so tightly by Him, that not even death can pull you apart. This is what you really want. This is what your heart really is after. More than anything, you want to know and be known by your maker, to be loved by him, to go through this life and to face your death knowing that you are secure. This is what you want. You want to know that you are loved, that you are secure, You want his smile. That is worth more than anything. Anything. is to know that God looks on you with a smile. And he says, that's what I want too. What you want is what I want. It's to be married to you. To be joined with you. And here's the deal. This is available to you. And it's available to you tonight. Like right now. Right this very moment. And it is free. You don't have to do anything but to come and receive it. You might say, well, how can this be? This is like, this is the best thing. And normally the best things aren't free. 
So maybe you're a little bit skeptical. How can, uh, how can this be free? How can I be so sure? And God answers that question. God says, look, behold. Look at verse 4. Well, I'll read from the end of verse 3. I will make you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Well, how? Well, behold, look over here. I made him, right? I made him to be a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Who or what is God pointing to when he says, look, right? When he's like sort of giving his proof. You want to know that I'm for real about this? Look at him. He's pointing to a person, right? The proof of God's love, the proof that his promises are good and true and for you, it's a person. And he says he's a king and he's a witness, The king commander, the witness that God is alluding to in this passage, it is none other than Jesus Christ himself. It's none other than his son, right? Sent into this world on a rescue mission to get us, to bring us home. On the day of this crucifixion, Pilate, who was responsible for Jesus' death, said to him, so are you a king or not? Are you a commander of the peoples or not? Jesus answers, you say correctly. You say correctly that I am a king. And for this reason I was born, and for this reason I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And everybody who is of the truth listens to my voice. That's in the the Gospel of John. When When you listen to God, when you come to Him, this is what you get, right? This is who you get. You get Him. You get an eternal marriage-like relationship with God. And Jesus has done everything uh, to make this possible. He came. He conquered. He conquered sin. He conquered the grave. He has justified you. And he has glorified you too. Right? He lived a perfect life. He died the death that our sins deserve. And then he, he, he walked out of the grave. He's alive right now. We're not worshiping a dead God. We're worshiping a live one. And he did this so that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither things present nor things future, nothing whatsoever will be able to separate you from the love of God and Jesus. So God's asking me tonight. He's asking, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Why are you... Why are you spending your labor for that which does not satisfy? Why are you doing that? You don't have to do that. You don't need the next Ninjago temple of the ultimate, ultimate weapon. You don't need it. You don't need fame, fortune. You don't really need that raise, that promotion. You don't really need all those likes. What you need is Jesus. You need to know that the Lord, your maker, loves you and wants to be married to you. You don't have to wait any longer. What you long for, what your heart is hungry for, it literally has like ding, ding, dinged out of the oven and it's on the table and it's ready for you to eat. So listen. Listen. This is free. Come, taste and see that God is good. Let's pray.